The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 11th chapter. Jesus spoke to the crowd, saying, But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Gospel of the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So you may know this, um, but uh, the majority of Christians uh, in our worship life together use a uh, three-year cycle of readings uh, that we use uh, during these services, uh, which has a lot of upsides. It allows us to cover uh, the better part of the Bible over the course of three years. Uh, it allows us to tend to each of the four different Gospels, and it also prevents people like me from cherry-picking only the verses that we'd like to talk about. Um, and uh, this morning, we're reading from the 11th chapter of Matthew, and I can assure you this is probably not one I would have picked for reasons which maybe will become apparent, but here it is, and so I would like to spend our, our time today talking about this um, set of verses from the 11th chapter of Matthew. I'm actually going to have you open your Bibles to that chapter. Uh, you'll find it on page 887, 887 towards the uh, back of the Bible. Um, there we are in Matthew 11, 887. Now what we uh, heard Pastor Valerie read this morning began on verse 16, uh, but I, I want to back up a bit to provide a little bit of context here before we get to that. And actually our headings in the Pew Bibles are helpful here. Uh, at the beginning of, of chapter 11, we have, we're told, messengers from John the Baptist. John the Baptist at this point has been imprisoned for his ministry. Um, and he has heard about the ministry of Jesus and he sends his disciples, John's disciples, to go to Jesus to say, hey, uh, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? In other words, are you the Messiah? Jesus tells the disciples of John, tell John what you see. 
what you hear and see, this is verse 5, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor of good news brought to them. Jesus there is paraphrasing the prophet Isaiah from a section that's talking about the coming of the Messiah, and so he's answering John's question with a affirmative, yes, I am the one who is to come, and you'll know it by the works you see, which were predicted by Isaiah, okay? Uh, that gets uh, Jesus in the mind of John and all that he has done. So the next section there, again, the subheading is helpful. Jesus praises John the Baptist. He talks about in verse 10, this is the one about whom it is written, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you namely John, who came to prepare the way for Jesus. He says some other nice things about uh, uh, John, and then in verse 14, uh, if you're willing to accept it, he, John, is Elijah, who is to come. It was understood that Elijah would uh, come before uh, the Messiah to prepare the way for him, and so again, Jesus is simply affirming uh, his own role. And this brings us then to the reading for today, which begins with uh, verse 16. And again, because of the question from John's disciples and Jesus starting to talk about John, Jesus is now in the mind of all that John has done and also some of what he, Jesus, has also done. Um, and so he starts in verse 16, but to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another, and then he quotes a, a, a poem or a song, we played the flute for you and you did not dance, we wailed and you did not mourn. He's talking there about the way that people are rejecting the message of both John before Jesus and Jesus himself, which he explains then in verse 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking. Uh, John was a little more severe in his approach to sharing the good news of God's love. And so he came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he, John, has a demon. And then the Son of Man, Jesus, came... Uh, eating and drinking, and they said, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and they pushed him away, okay? So Jesus is saying, John came to you with a message of God's love, I have come to you with a message of God's love in a different way, and you've pushed us both away. And now Jesus is getting a little bit frosty, and um, he, he picks up uh, these verses 20 to 24, which you will notice in the bulletin are not included in the lectionary or appointed reading, but again, for the purpose of context, I wanna actually lift them up. Um, the heading is, Woes to Unrepentant Cities. And it says, then he, Jesus, began to reproach the cities in which most of his deeds of power had been done because they did not repent. And Jesus said, Woe to you, Chorazin, a town near there. Woe to you, Bethsaida, another town. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which were uh, renowned in the Old Testament for their wickedness, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for them than for you. And you, you Capernaum, a town most of us have heard of, will you be exalted in heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Sodom, another Old Testament town, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for you. So Jesus here is comparing these three towns in the vicinity with Old Testament towns and saying that these towns are worse than any towns or cities you've heard about in the Old Testament. Now, I read that relatively straightforwardly, but I want to ask a question, which is this. What is the primary emotion that Jesus is feeling here as he's saying these words, would you guess? This is not a rhetorical question. <laughs> Rejection, frustration is getting close to it, a little stronger than frustration, I'm looking. 
Yes, he is angry. And one of the reasons that they cut these verses out of the lectionary is that as Christians, we are not very comfortable with an angry Jesus. We like the cuddly uh, teddy bear Jesus, but I will remind you that Jesus was put to death on a cross, and he was not put to death on a cross for being a cuddly teddy bear. He sometimes got an angry. So I want to lift up a few thoughts about Jesus' anger this morning. The first of which is, um, for me at least, uh, having the Bible refer periodically to the fact that Jesus got angry is refreshing because it reminds me of the Christian truth that we confess that Jesus is both fully divine and fully human. And the fully human part of Jesus uh, clearly had the full range of human emotions, including anger. Now, no doubt all of you are far more evolved than I am, but I have experienced anger in my life. And so when we see Jesus getting angry, it allows me to relate to Jesus a little more, or allows, and it said differently, allows me to believe that Jesus can relate to me. So I think there is something positive and healthy in being reminded that Jesus shares with us the full range of human emotions. Can I get an amen to that? Has anyone else ever gotten angry in their life? Yes, thank you for your honesty. So the other couple things I want to say about this anger are the answers to a, the same question, and I want to come at it a slightly different ways. But the, the question is, why is Jesus angry here? And the answer to that question in the first place is that he's angry about what these towns, Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, have done. And no doubt all of you have heard about the terrible, awful deeds of the people who lived in those towns, right? Wrong. Why? Because we don't have any idea what they did. For all we can tell, they didn't do anything awful. They were not apparently dens of iniquity. So the important point I want to make here is that Jesus is not angry at these towns for something they have done, but seems to be angry at them for something they have not done. It would appear that they are all very self-satisfied, happy, going along with life, being a little apathetic, a little complacent, and Jesus is angry at them that they seem only to be able to think about themselves. We're in the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year, or the start of the Reformation, and Luther, among other people, said that being turned in on ourselves is the primal sin the primary sin, being focused on ourselves. And here again, Jesus' anger is refreshing, maybe, or bracing to me, personally, because I can certainly think of times when I also have not maybe responded as fully or as completely to God's invitation as I might, where I am ending up thinking more about myself than others. Anyone else ever suffer from that? Perhaps, yes. Okay, thank you again for your honesty. Um, so again, here Jesus, again, the important thing, it's not that he's mad at the towns for something they've done, but rather for their apathy. He's saying, hey folks, get out of yourselves for a little bit and worry about someone other than yourself. Okay, that's the first answer to the question, why is he angry? The second, more fundamental answer to the question, why is Jesus angry, is um, this. I think he is angry at the people in these towns because he loves them. 
He knows them, he loves them, he cares for them, and he wants what is best for them, and he recognizes that the way that they are living is not going to fulfill them or satisfy them as much as following him will, will satisfy them. Um, and so, like parents who are sometimes angry with their children in the same way, because parents see their children doing things that are not going to benefit them, uh, Jesus gets angry at them. Last night at the Saturday night service when I mentioned this, there were a fair number of parents with children, and I saw a lot of them looking at their kids like, do you see how much I love you? <laughs> That's why I'm so angry with you. So Jesus loves these folks, and he wants what's best for them, and the fact that the way they are behaving is not what's best for them makes him angry. And this moves us to the last part of the reading for today, which I think makes a lot more sense having moved through what we just moved through. This is the section that says, Jesus thanks his father at the bottom of page 887. And it's at this point, and again, I can relate to this. It's sort of like in the verses preceding that, Jesus has um, gone on this rant. He's gotten all angry, and he's gotten it out of his system. And then he takes a breath. And he remembers why he is angry. And again, it's because he loves these people. And he starts praying to God for them. Leading up to the most famous part of this passage, if you turn the page to 888, to verse 28, where Jesus says to God, praying on behalf of all these people that he loves, come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Now, I want to be very clear about something. There is no doubt that part of what Jesus means here is what Kathy talked about in the children's message, that Jesus is always, always, always willing to accept the burdens that we have of grief and pain and disappointment and disillusionment, right? And if that's what's on your heart today, then I pray you will lay those at the feet of our Savior. But I think that Jesus is also uh, an acute enough student of human nature that part of what he's also saying here is, folks, you are clinging to things you think will help you, like your focus on yourself. You are turned in on yourself. You're trying to save yourselves. And while you think that's good for you, in the end, it becomes a burden. So let go of that burden. Quit focusing on yourselves so much so that you can periodically look around you and see the needs of others and care for them. Let's pray for that right now. Good and loving God, we come to you today as always with all kinds of burdens on our hearts and our minds, including the burden of worrying too much about ourselves. Today we pray you will help us to let go of these burdens, place them at your feet so that we may experience your peace and your joy and share it with others. In all this we pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.